This is episode 42 of the Just Get Started podcast, and my guest today is dating expert Cora Boyd. Let's get it started. Hey gang, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco. Thanks again for being a part of this journey. Excited to have you guys here for another episode. Um, and I have a really intriguing one today. Um, I got introduced to Cora through our NextGen community. Um, I had Justin Lafazan. Uh, you guys may remember back several episodes ago that co-founded NextGen. But Cora came through that and uh, had got connected with her. And she's actually a dating coach. Um, and I thought it was really intriguing to pick her brain on a lot of things that are going on in the dating world today. Um, I thought that would be important for a lot of the listeners, um, some that may be single, some that maybe are getting back in the game, who knows. Um, but we have a really intriguing conversation, uh, talk deep about dating a lot, uh, go into her business and, and you know, how she started it and why she got into that. And uh, it was really cool to chat with her. She's got a great personality. You'll, you'll see that come through very quickly uh, when we jump into the interview. But Go check her out online. Um, her website, it's uh, Cora Boyd, C-O-R-A-B-O-Y-D, coaching.com. So that's the best way to get in touch with her there. Um, you can also check her out on Instagram. Um, her Instagram name, it's Cobra, C-O-B-R-A-B-O-Y-X-O-X. So Cobra Boy X-O-X. Check her out on Instagram. Uh, follow along with her story there. But I think you guys will really enjoy this conversation. Uh, we, we definitely jump into a variety of different tangents on this, and um, it's definitely a cool break from kind of the norm I've had um, on a lot of these different uh, interviews. So I hope you guys enjoy this one, and without further ado, let's jump into my chat with Cora Boyd. Let's get it started. Cora, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining this evening. Thank you for having me. So... We're going to go on a variety of tangents because I have a lot of questions uh, teed up for you here. I'm excited to hear. And I'm, I'm sure the the guys out there, or maybe the gals, want to hear it as well. But I want to start off with a, just a very direct question because I'm very curious and others may be. Yeah. How does one come, become a dating coach? <laughs> it's a great question. Um, so I used to be a matchmaker. I worked as a matchmaker for a couple of years. Um, I guess I should start with how I got into that. Um, so there's this dating industry that's very much um, emerging, but also re-emerging because we think of matchmaking as kind of a, an, it's a novel thing right now, but it's also super old timey. Um, it comes from way back. Um, or when we think about even like relationship structures, most of history we've been matchmaking. Um, but anyhow, there's kind of this uh, resurgence of uh, a dating industry right now, which um, might seem counterintuitive because we have all of these dating apps, which I guess fall under the umbrella of the dating industry. But there's also a lot of dating services like um, matchmakers and dating coaches kind of coming, rising to the surface, um, less coaches than matchmakers right now. Anyhow, I, um, had a friend who, uh, moved out to San Francisco and started working for a matchmaking company there. As you can imagine, kind of coastal workaholic cities are the hotbeds for these services. Cause you get a lot of busy professionals who want to outsource their 
love lives. Um, so she moved out to San Francisco and she uh, started wor- working for a company there. And I caught wind of this. I ran into her, I think at a party. Um, and I was like, what the fuck? That is, that's amazing. I have to do that. That sounds like so much fun. So I started helping her out with her venture um, and uh, kind of got some hands-on experience, also got to, uh, got a window into what it's like to start a business and kind of the, from the, from the ground up and what that looks like. Um, I had also been traveling for a while. So, um, and doing the whole digital nomad thing. And I knew that I wanted to work remotely. So I had this idea in my mind that I wanted to be um, a remote working matchmaker and all my friends were like you are cray I don't know how you're gonna do that but um after working with her venture for a while I got hired by um a matchmaking company that was remote um which is awesome so I did that for a couple years and was mostly mostly based in New Orleans at that time um but also traveling a fair amount so um I spent five months driving around the country while I was doing that, which was, um, (laughs) it was amazing. Also, uh, surprisingly, there is very little cell service and internet in tons of places in the U.S., um, which I learned and was a little bit challenging while working. Um, I also spent some time in Colombia while I was doing that job. So I um, was matchmaking for a couple years, and through that experience, I just got a back end view into hundreds and hundreds of people's dating lives um, and people all over the country. Cause I was working with clientele. This was a nationwide um, company and I was working remotely for them. So I, I had clients in all different places. My main hubs were uh, DC and Dallas, uh, which was really interesting um, cause quite different demographics and quite different dating or patterns or um, issues that, come up for people in dating, depending on the, the location and just kind of the, the social ecosystem. Um, so I, I got to see, um, I got to see what was happening from this kind of bird's eye perspective. Um, and I, yeah, I started to see what the patterns were. I started to see what like the main um, pain points were for people, the main frustrations, um, and also just how many people um, are having a hard time dating-wise right now. Um, And I I think I can speculate more on that later, but um, I have some strong opinions as to why. Um, So all of this is to say it's interesting, it's almost counterintuitive that there would be this uh, demand for dating services right now because of the apps, you think, oh, well, everyone can go do it themselves. But it actually, I think that there's a dating industry, uh, specifically, kind of this emergence of a lot of dating services, um, because of the apps, because dating is really one of the most personal areas of your life, you're literally um, kind of merging your most personal self with another person's most personal self. So I saw how like with apps, with all, with a lot of things that's go- that are going on, um, people were starting to, f- or are feeling that um, this experience and this process that should be very personal feels impersonal. Um, and again, I'm not anti-app. 
either. Um, I see, uh, I see them as tools and they're great conduits for meeting people. Um, but there are psychological factors at play. Like a dating app is literally designed psychologically like a slot machine where you get dopamine hits. It's addictive. So there are a lot of psychological factors going on with apps that I think we need to be more cognizant of, um, and just make sure that we're using these apps, not feeling used by them as so many people do. Yeah. And I, and I, I mean, I'll go on record and say, I, I don't like the apps. Mm-hmm. I, I yeah. vowed to never download a dating app. Yeah. For, for the simple fact of, you know, something I listened to, gosh, I don't know how long ago, but they were talking about where, you know, you know, kind of, I'll, I'll be kind of corny for a little bit, but like love yeah. kind of happens, you know, yeah, and, exactly. and you meet people and, and sometimes they're perfect, you think, mm-hmm. and they have their, just like I do, or just like other people do, everyone has their kind right. of deficiencies, if I have best term I can think of right now, um, mm-hmm. but you accept those. I mean, that's part of life. And I, mm-hmm. and I think the problem with the apps I found yeah. hearing from other friends that have used them is that you're putting a filter on what you think you need. Absolutely. And the reality is you don't know. Would you agree with that or? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that, um, right. It's almost like a build a bear situation where you are, you're making this checklist almost. Yeah. Like a build a bear, a checklist beforehand and you're filtering out, um, people based on what you think you want, which is usually built on a projection of what you don't want in response to your last relationship. It's very reactive. um, And it's not always that informed um, because emotion and logic are not the same thing. Um, They're in conversation with each other. They should be in conversation with each other. But yeah, exactly. When you're pre-filtering, you're not... um, you're not giving that chemistry a chance where often when you meet someone in real life or IRL would be the, uh, the dating lingo term, um, we're much more forgiving and, and that helps us learn more too, because, um, even what I saw working with, um, clients in Dallas and DC pre and post election, which was really fascinating. Um, I got to see kind of how politics really bubbled up to the surface uh, around that time and how, just for example, if you meet someone in real life and you have a connection and you kind of get to know each other and you maybe find out down the line, whether it's politics or something else, this is just an example, but you find out down the line that oh, you have kind of different different views on this thing. Um, you're, you're already emotionally invested in that dynamic working out. So you're much more willing to um, have a conversation about whatever that difference you might have is um, and understand where they're coming from rather than pre-filtering anyone who doesn't agree with you. And it could be, it's not just politics. It could be anything. That was just a example. Um, but... <laughs> I think it's really interesting um, how that how that works psychologically with this app culture and this also this culture that's very visually saturated, kind of a shopper mentality dating wise, um, when it's really just a two dimensional representation of someone and attraction um, is a, it's a lot looks matter. Uh, they do. But it's about a lot more than that. It's how, you know, people carry themselves. Um, but to the point of pre filtering. Um, I always, something that I hear from clients a lot, um, 
both when I was a matchmaker and now that I'm just doing coaching, um, <laughs> which I got a little ahead of myself and I didn't quite finish how that transition happened, but uh, more on that in a moment. Um, is that, oh God, what was I saying? I lost my train of thought. Um, well, we were talking about just like the, you know, the filtering and, and pre-filtering. Oh, and, yeah. And so, mm -hmm. so I hear a lot from people, they'll be like, yeah, I really want someone who is intellectually challenging to me and that engages me and um, shows me new things and uh, shows me different perspectives. I, I think most people can agree that that's something that they want on some level, which is also a really, really awesome element of relationships is that they do... Um, you know, they open up your eyes to a different, another person's view of the world. Um, so I always find it funny. I have so many clients expressing that they'll be like, I want someone who challenges me, who can have a good debate with me, X, Y, Z. But I want someone who thinks the exact same thing I do <laughs> on all of these fronts. I'm like, huh, that doesn't sound very challenging, does it? Uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, that's something I find amusing. But um, I really think that, yeah, this pre-filtering contributes to that mindset where, like I said, when you're meeting someone in person, um, you're much more willing to meet them where they are and uh, understand than when you're just selecting someone like an Uber Eats, you know? Yeah. And, and I don't want to, I don't want to knock the online dating. There's probably oh. folks out there, but one of my best friends, you mm -hmm. know, met his wife on there, happily married, couple of exactly. kids. Are doing great. It's a great conduit people. But yeah, it is. Isn't there a, and something I was thinking about is it, it almost seems like there's kind of that FOMO of if you don't, oh man, one more swipe, maybe it's that next person. Exactly. Do you feel like there's some of that as well? Yeah, absolutely. There's a total paradox of choice. And that's why I say also, I'm not anti-dating app. Um, I just want everyone to be aware of what what the fact the psychological factors are on a like greater societal level too. So yeah, there's absolutely that paradox of choice where um there it's so easy to meet anyone that um yeah, you can just go swipe on your phone. It's like, well, if this especially millennials too are a patience is a lot lower. It's like if this doesn't work out, if if this issue comes up that we have to work through, if shit gets real basically uh, I could work through that or yeah, I could just go find someone else. Um, so I think it's definitely something to be aware of. What do you, what find, do you find? Yeah. What, yeah, what, what do you find, find is the biggest mistake guys are making? In dating? What's the what big, like the biggest thing you've observed or you see, or maybe, mm -hmm. I, don't know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, You're, there's probably 20 things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the biggest one. I'm trying to think of what the, yeah, your top well, your top couple that you hear or you see. Mm -hmm. Um, I think a lot of it really boils down to communication skills. Um, because I do I I coach men, um, specifically. Um, and something that I see come up a lot is um this concern of uh, being this this uncertainty about where the line is between being upfront and forward and kind of proactive and having agency in their dating lives and um, being 
creepy or crossing a line or um, pushing too much. So um, I love that these guys are thinking about this because it's really important. Um, but I, what I see a lot is um, guys not necessarily making a move or taking that action because they don't want to cross a line. They don't want to um, come across as creepy. Um, but instead, nothing nothing's happening. Um, so really, the solution to that is it's pretty simple. It's just communicate, respect. It's knowing how to read the social cues of the situation and know when, you know, if, if someone says no, if they're not interested, drop it at that. But as long as you're up front and, and you respect and know, there is many, many women really appreciate guys being forward. Um, so that's not necessarily a mistake. It's just, especially right now, it's kind of topical, but uh, something I would urge guys to remember is that it is okay to be forward. It is okay to be direct. Um, and it's also okay for her not to be interested. And it's as simple as that. What about, you know, and I, and I have several friends and I've talked about this where they, you know, they'll do a lot of online dating or just dating in general. And yeah. there's a lot of complaining about, well, we, you know, we texted or we hung out a few times. It didn't work out. God, it keeps happening like this. And I try to give the example, try not to be negative with them. I'm like, dude, have, are you self-aware? Like, maybe it's you. Maybe you're the problem. Yeah. What, what kind of coaching do you give the guys to, to kind of have that understanding, I guess? Absolutely. Well, it's a matter of looking at the patterns in your life this, the or the patterns that are coming up in your social life and your interpersonal relationships, whether those are romantic, friendship, family. And the common denominator is always you. So that it's really worth looking at of like, oh, okay. <laughs> if this same thing keeps happening across the board, it's probably you. Why are you doing that? Let's tap into the why and change that behavior. So that's really what I do. Um, it's not dissimilar to cognitive behavioral therapy, um, but with a dating focus and specifically a modern dating focus. Um, but yeah, but we also have to account for the reality that in dating, there are just so, so many variables happening. And it takes a lot of variables lining up for something to be a viable relationship, not just chemistry-wise, not just connection-wise, but logistically for something to work out in real life. Um, so that's something really important to remember when it comes to um, rejection and recognizing that it's it's a really, really normal part of the process of putting yourself out there. It happens to everyone. And it's not about getting everyone to like you. It's um, finding someone who's a good match for you. Um, so to your point of the pattern, if it's happening across the board, common denominator of your every interaction is you. So that's something to look at. And that's something that I do look at with clients. And also, no one person holds the world opi world's opinion. So if something fluky and weird happens or someone has a strange reaction or whatever, like shit happens, <laughs> it didn't work out. And um, there are so many other variables at play there that there is just really no use in internalizing that as something that you did wrong or um, that is wrong with you. Um, so that's kind of a framework that I work with in terms of both rejection or kind of handling rejection emotionally, but then also taking responsibility for what's yours um, and for 
yeah, taking responsibility for your own actions and your own behavior and really, really being real with yourself about how much of it is you and how much of it was just some fluky shit that happens as it does from time to time. Yeah. And I'm curious too, like the, um, so when you, when you first talk, you know, talk with a client, again, you're saying you generally work with guys. Yeah. What's, what's like the first thing they're asking you, if you can share that, I'm I'm just kind of curious, is, is it just like, Hey, I can't meet, I can't meet women or I just, I, I don't know what to say on the first date. Like yeah. what are some of the things that are going on? Sure. Yeah. Well, some really common pain points are, um, meeting women, uh, a lot of guys who maybe go on a lot of first dates, but they don't really get to second dates. Um, those are common too, or it will, dating is really vulnerable. So there's a lot of fear involved, right? So um, all kinds of things where we self-sabotage budding relationships because it's scary. And our, our subconscious mind wants to avoid fear at all costs. And, you know, if you've ever been hurt before, it's, um, we all kind of freak the fuck out at the beginning of relationships and it's normal. Um, so varying degrees of that. And then also um, proactivity, just kind of being intentional enough to make time for dating and know how to talk to women and create those opportunities to connect with them or create those opportunities to go on a date with them. Um, yeah. I'd say the main pain points are getting on first dates um, getting on second dates and then kind of being self-aware enough to the point where when inevitably you do freak out a little bit as you're getting closer and closer to someone, recognizing that's what it is and not really believing those fear stories. What uh, for, for you personally, I'm curious, you just your thoughts on this randomness, uh, because when I, so when I used to teach golf uh, years ago, I used to always tell my students, like, I don't want to coach you down the road. Like, I yeah. want you to get so good that, you yeah. know, how you're, you're kind of self-reliant and, and you don't really need me. Instead, you know, we have a nice, friendly conversation. At one point, when do you stop working with clients? Like, yeah. is it when they get in a serious relationship, get married? I mean, I'm kind of curious. Yeah. Well, that's actually why I. Um, transition to doing coaching and not matchmaking is because it's kind of like teach a man to fish, right? Um, I wanted to um, empower my clients with a skill set so that they can feel confident meeting women wherever, whenever, and knowing how to follow through on those opportunities. And also not feeling like they have options because they have that skill set and not staying in shitty relationships because they feel like they don't have options or they don't feel like they can do better. Um, so yeah, I, I'm totally on the same page um, and feel really passionately about um, empowering people with that skill set that they can take with them moving forward. And they don't necessarily need me in a few months. Um, but the thing is, uh, interpersonal relationships or just communication, you can, anyone could use some advice or some perspective, some objective perspective on that at any point in any kind of relationship. Um, so something that I see happen is, or a mindset that I see come up a lot is this idea that, okay, the, the feat is to get to the relationship, get to the point where you define the relationship. And then after that, the work is done, which, um, could not be further from the truth because when you get complacent, 
the relationship's not going to work out. So there's, it's just another, another level of engagement that you have to do once you're in the relationship. So I do focus on that kind of courtship phase of helping people um, date source dates um, that lead up to a relationship. So I guess technically you could say my work is done once they get into a relationship, but I, I work with clients for as long as they want to work with me because really the essence of my work is helping people build self-awareness and communication skills. Um, so I do have a couple of clients who are married um, and then a couple of clients that uh, were single when I first started working with them are now in relationships and I continue to work with them um, while they're in the relationship, just when they need that perspective of ah, this issue came up, this, this difference came up. How do I approach this? How do I, um, how much of this is something that needs to be compromised on between me and my partner and how much of this is my own shit and my own projections. Um, so yeah, I do focus on that courtship phase, but I, I sometimes work with clients for longer or clients who are already in relationships. What would you say your percentage? I don't know if you know this off the top of your head, but like uh, guys that you're working with that are, have only been, you know, have never been married, I guess, or huh? folks that have been married, been separated, yeah. and now we're out there again. Yeah. Um, so I get a few different demographics coming to me, and I definitely get a wave of those um, gentlemen who have, they're maybe in their mid-50s, they are somewhat recently di divorced, and they haven't been single since they were 20, and they come out into this dating scene, and it's just completely different. Um, so, so many courtship scripts have just entirely changed um, when you take into account technology, uh, app culture, kind of all of the nuances of digital communication. Um, you've got rapidly shifting gender politics and dynamics. Um, and then also just more and more socially sanctioned ways to have a relationship. Um, most of the clients that I work with do want a monogamous relationship, but we have to work with the reality that it's not a total guarantee that that is someone, something that another person is going to want, which um, seems really overwhelming if you're just entering the scene. Um, but really, as I said, it all boils down to self-awareness and communication, um, knowing what you want and being able to effectively communicate that to another person. Do you have it? And I'm just curious, opinion wise, um, and because I, again, I talk with a lot of folks that are separated, that are divorced. Yeah, uh, I'm separated myself. Yeah, like what from a the, the whole seven year itch thing? I'm curious. Yeah. Like, if you talk to, I've always been curious about this. I'll ask someone that's at least kind of in the world, and I'm curious yeah. your opinion whether you know you have one or not on it. But yeah. why do you think that? Why do you think that is a thing? Like, is it you're talking about communication? Is it the values of it? Like, I, I've always tried to dissect of why that happens. I'm just yeah. curious if you have any opinion on it. Yeah. So you're talking about the set, like if you're in a relationship, you reach the seven year point and you start getting restless, seven year itch. Yeah. And it could be before that, but it kind of seems like things end around that seven years. It, it, it's pretty amazing how yeah. a lot do. Right. Well, um, metabolically, uh, lust and uh, kind of that like, uh, physiological excitement, it's metabolically very expensive. So <laughs> it can't, it, it takes a ton of energy. So that's actually how it works from a, a psychological perspective, but like physiological as well as like, 
well, and we can take into account all of these other life factors. As we said, there's so many variables at play, but um, it does happen within a couple years in relationships that uh, you kind of like physiologically calm down and uh, you get used to each other. And um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Esther Perel. Harry, no, I've never, no, I've never heard of that. Oh my God, she's incredible. She's a Belgian psychotherapist. Um, and she writes a lot about, um, or she researches uh, sex and desire. And I, I'm kind of going on a tangent here. I know you didn't mention sex, but I'm rolling with it. Hey, go um, with whatever you want. Yeah, um, within monogamous partnerships. So I just read this book she wrote called Mating in Captivity, which is amazing. But a concept from her research that I, I think is really, really important to keep in mind for any kind of relationship, romantic relationship, is that um, in a committed relationship, there are two factors that are actually kind of at odds with each other. And one is this... Um, intimacy which is kind of this closeness where you're you're merging you're feeling like close and safe and um comfortable but desire is actually hinged on that a separateness or feeling um a little bit off balance by your partner not really knowing what they're going to do next or like that mystery um so i think that it's it's fairly common in longer term relationships that the the separateness or the mystery um kind of, of course, if you're spending so much time with someone, of course, that's going to die down. And with that attraction dies down. Um, so that would be my opinion, just kind of off the cuff is that uh, probably uh, occurs from not uh, kind of a lack of awareness around how attraction and intimacy actually work and how there is this need for separation. And when you don't have it, it you know, you feel like roommates <laughs> at a certain point. Um, but that's okay, because you, you can be aware of that and actively cultivate that in your relationship when you start to feel that itch. No, that's good insight on that. And that's, yeah, there's probably some accuracy to that, to that uh, yeah. statement there. So, right. And I'm not sure if that's entirely what you were getting at. But. No, no, that's fine. I'm just curious yeah. that, you know, I'm, I'm always interested on stuff around this. I figure we're around that topic. Maybe it's a good, uh, a good thing to needle in on. Um, yeah. I'm going to throw a curveball here just because I'm curious. I had this written down and I was just interested. You do yeah. some burlesque stuff. You do oh, now yeah. you do improv as well. How did you get into yeah. all that stuff? Um, I have a comedy background. Um, so I used to perform comedy. I, I still do a little bit, not quite as much. And um, are do you know anything about burlesque? No, besides, I think. Wasn't there a movie years ago or something? Like, uh, yeah, the Christina Aguilera. There you go. There you go. That's yeah, a, that's exactly. about my extent that there was a movie about something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So burlesque is really interesting, and that could be a whole nother topic. But um, basically, it's like a a parody strip tease. It's a performative art, kind of like a cabaret, and they do these variety shows. And burlesque as an industry has um had all kinds of phases, but it's actually seeing kind of a renaissance right now. Um, so it started in like, um, I think like World War One era London, something along those lines. Don't necessarily quote me on that, but um, it's kind of been reappropriated as if by the queer community as this kind of um, reclaiming of 
performative sexuality and it's usually a parody like it's um it's kind of comedic striptease really anyway so i do moonlight as a burlesque performer um and it's something i just do for fun uh it's like a great community to be a part of um but also uh i talk with people i work with people on intimacy and inevitably sexuality comes into that so um it is an important way that I stay tapped into conversations about sexuality and kind of what's relevant and what what even research is coming up. And it's a way that like I even debated whether I was going to be um, because of my business, whether I was going to be public about that. And ultimately, ultimately, I help people be their most authentic selves and um, connect with other people authentically and also help people uh, feel more comfortable with themselves and their and that includes their sexuality. So I I made the call that yeah, it's kind of something I do for fun. It's also um it's uh I want clients to know that I'm comfortable with that within myself um because what I'm doing is helping them become comfortable with that within themselves. You mentioned comedy. Is that is that like what you want to do growing up? You want to be a comedian or how did you get into that? Uh, no, I, uh, I've always enjoyed humor a lot. Um, I have a, a writing background too. So I always did kind of like comedic, comedic writing. Um, I was in, I used to act a lot when I was younger. Um, so like in high school, um, in college too, I, I acted a fair amount. Um, and then I, I was in a comedy group, the comedy group in college and kind of continued post um, as well. Um, but I don't know, it's something I've always done for fun. It's also a way that I, uh, it's, it's not something that I've ever seriously entertained pursuing professionally, but I've always been kind of had a foot in that community. Um, and it's a huge way that I actually connect, not just with people in my personal life, but with my clients as well is, is, um, humor and, um, you know, being able to see the humor in different, <laughs> different situations, because sometimes shit sucks and, you know, you go through a breakup, it's horrible. It's like, okay, humor is actually an amazing tool for dealing with life. Um, so I think it it does come into my work a lot, uh, just in terms of um, my point of view, and then also how I'm connecting with my clients. No, that's really, that's really interesting. But it's, it's one little thing too, that's, you know, with humans in general, I think some people are so surface level, and yeah. they don't get to know people. And like, there's all these different prongs, to individuals and how they are you know, it's obviously part of this just get started podcast, like a lot of things from your upbringing probably uh -huh. have helped you in your career now, Yeah, uh, which is always interesting to, to tie back to. Um, uh -huh. One of the things I mentioned in it, or I, I saw online uh -huh. um, that you got, you're doing this Tinder is the night thing. Oh I, want to bring, I want to bring it yeah. up because yeah. away from the online dating sometimes, like mm -hmm. I, I try to give advice and insight. Again, people, you know, talking like, oh, you know, I don't know what to do or where to meet people. I'm like, I don't know, go join a nonprofit board or go do this or that. Like, yeah. can you talk a little about Tinder is the night? And then Absolutely. as a, as a part B, yeah. any other tips to folks of like where they could get out and meet people instead yeah. of just sitting on the phone? Absolutely. <laughs> I would love to. Yeah. So Tinder is the night is a fucking hoot. I love it so much. Um, so it's a pop-up dinner party series that I run uh, pretty much monthly. Um, I put one on. Uh, and 
the impetus of it, I, I had the idea to start doing this when I heard the statistic that one third of people on dating apps have never actually gone on a date sourced through an app. Um, so I thought that was kind of fascinating speaking to what we started this conversation with of um, being really uh, cognizant about how we're using these apps and letting, instead of feeling used by them, as I see so many people do right now. Um, and also knowing that um, the number one predictor of happiness is the quality of your relationships. And also knowing that despite being more technically connected than ever, um, rates of loneliness and depression and, are, and anxiety are skyrocketing. Um, so the way I see it, it's like technology, these, these tools, they're not going anywhere. And they are tools, the intention of which is, the intention of the app is to help people connect in reality. Um, I feel that sometimes the thread gets a little bit lost because one third of people, it's probably even more, I read that statistic a while back, I'd be um, interested to see something more up to date. But um, I was thinking about it. And um, one feature of date uh, app dating that I find really interesting um, is how it exposes us to people entirely outside of our existing social networks. Um, the shadow side of that is that these people are not vetted and there's very little accountability, social accountability um, in terms of like integrity of treatment and how you're comporting yourself. So that's where you get ghosting or um, just people being shit people because <laughs> they, there's not going to be a consequence because there's not a shared um, social network. But I also think that that's really cool feature um, and something that I love about online dating or even social media and what really exemplifies how, like, what a tool it is, is that how cool it, it completely exposes you to people you would never have met otherwise. So the intention of Tinder is the night is to leverage that feature of date um, app dating uh, in order to get a group of people together in reality in a somewhat intimate setting. I cap it at 12 people to make sure that everyone talks to everyone else there. Um, and just kind of meet people entirely outside of their existing social network, but in real life. Um, so what I do is I bring in a chef and then I'll invite a core group of six people. Um, and those six people all have to bring a first Tinder date. <laughs> so it's 12 people, me, a chef, and then we all cook a meal together and cook and eat it and have a dinner party. And it's great. It's really fun. It's a social experiment and it's a way, um, it's a way to spark dialogue about um, online dating, but also meet new people, but spark a dialogue about, you know, how, how everyone feels about this and what their experiences are. And this is also a really, really effective way for me personally to collect data um, and just hear different stories and different perspectives, which really informs the content that I put together and also the way that I inform my clients. Because... It's really how I'm able to do what I do is that I am uh, effectively this repository of information because I, I have the great privilege of having a job that everyone is interested in and everyone has something to say about dating. Everyone has had an experience. So I just get to hear stories all the time and then I aggregate that information and then can kind of 
be a resource for my clients and for people um, based on having this perspective from hearing so many different experiences. So yeah, that's one of the ideas of Tinder is the night is that it's, it's actually a great way for me to collect data um, and also a way for people to engage with what I'm doing. Uh, people who might not want to do one-on-one coaching, um, but still want to be included in the conversation in some capacity. Where do you hold those events? Um, different venues. Um, so I definitely have some ideas I'm plotting to, uh, expand a little bit, um, more on that in the months to come. Um, but right now I, um, do them in Seattle because that's where I live. Um, but sometimes I've done a handful in New York, a, a handful in New Orleans and, um, basically anywhere I travel, I travel a fair amount. Um, I usually do one. Uh, so could be coming to North Carolina. You never know. <laughs> I got a few people that I could get yeah. signed up for that. If you, if you come right. to the Cary, North Carolina area, Raleigh yeah, area. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I really feel that to your question about getting into real life, I really feel the next frontier of dating is, um, more live events like you got the league you've got bumble you've got tinder doing these live mixers um i also uh partner with a speed dating company for different events sometimes and i'm going to be putting on a number of upcoming events in seattle that i won't say too much about yet but if you follow me on instagram you'll you'll see how those unfold um but the issue i see is that <laughs> singles events are just really not sexy there's something profoundly unsexy about a singles event. So um, I'm really interested in creating a, and, and undoing that stigma and creating events uh, where people can connect in real life that are fun and cool and sexy. No, that's awesome. That sounds like a really cool, uh, I guess the word experiment, right, for folks. But um, yes, you know, it's, it's just a different way to kind of get out there and and a little yeah. different than the, than the norm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have one more question on some stuff. I, um, this just came up the other night, actually a friend, uh-huh. if she's listening, it'd be hilarious. Cause she'll know I'm talking about her uh-huh. is, uh, but she asked a question. She said, Hey, I'm old school. Yeah. I'm like I want the guy to pursue me. Yeah. And I said, great, but you have to let them know there's some interest. And that's yeah. how I feel like give them a, a yeah. glare, give them something. Do you feel that same way? Like these guys are intimidated. Yeah. Uh-huh. What, and and this is speaking to the guys as well. Any tips right. for the guys to to approach women and actually talk to them for the first time? Yes, absolutely. So that's a great question. The only difference between um, talking to an attractive woman who you don't know and talking to an old man in the dentist's waiting room is your expectation of the outcome, right? They're both humans. Uh, so if you're comfortable kind of making small talk with people in general, um, I see a lot of guys, they'll freeze up when it comes to actually talking to a woman they're interested in. And it's that expectation. There's this, um, they know that they're interested. They know they, they kind of want a certain outcome, but there's this dichotomous mindset where it's like, okay, based on her response, I'm either going to interpret this uh, interaction as a success or a failure. Um, And to be honest, you know, it's putting yourself out there. So the ego can take a hit when it doesn't go very well. So 
Um, a lot of times people opt to just not do it because they, they don't want to deal with the, the possibility of a, of a rejection. So um, with that in mind, uh, really my advice is to keep it low stakes um, when starting to talk to an attractive woman. Um, and that, that means both for yourself mentally saying, Hey, okay, I'm, I'm just saying, Hey, to this person, I'm just, uh, mentioning X, Y, Z. Um, I don't have expectations here. If it leads to a longer conversation, if it leads to date, that's awesome. If not great. I just had a pleasant interaction with a stranger and there are so many more possibilities that can come from that interaction from than just, oh, this was a success or this was a failure. So one element to actually um, kind of pump yourself up to make the move is to just lower the stakes in your own mind. Um, and then I think that something that freezes guys up a lot is um, thinking that they have to say something super clever or um, kind of a line or like knock her off her, or, sorry, sweep her off her feet, not knock her off her feet within the first few seconds. And to that, I'd say, yeah, it's great if you say something really witty, something really clever. But the important thing is that you just say something. Women know, like she knows that you're being friendly, that you may or may not be interested in her. If there's any mutual interest, she will be inviting, even if you said something kind of dumb and unoriginal. So I would urge guys not to worry all that much about what they say initially. Um, and then to women, yeah, if you're interested, you need to, guys, they can't read your mind. You need to give some sort of indication with uh, of reciprocity with your body language, with even asking another question, like letting the conversation unfold. Um, so that would be my main piece of advice is just lower the stakes for yourself mentally and for what you should be saying. And, um, the important thing is that you are actually creating opportunities for yourself and you're opening that door of possibility. And if she wants to walk through that door and continue talking to you, she can, if she doesn't want to, you have no idea what's going on in her life. There are so many factors going on. You don't know if she's single. You don't know if she's straight. Um, so there's just really no point taking it personally because you have no idea what's going on with her. And the factor that you can control in that in those instances is, okay, did I show up and open the door of possibility or not? Um, can't control what's going on for another person or what her perception is. I want to make sure I ask before we end the podcast, one of the things that you know I always talk about with a lot of guests is just around kind of what they do in terms of daily activities of you know routines, habits, those type of things. Yeah. I'm curious for yourself, and it's actually curious, it's, it's funny that you said digital nomad. You know, I had yeah. uh, Ginny O um, on, who's a digital nomad a couple episodes ago. Yeah, I listened then, to I'm sure, Oh, did you? Okay, cool. So like, yeah, and, and it's awesome to hear that you're doing that as well and kind of remote worker. How do yeah. you set up your day? How do you stay yeah. focused on certain things? I'm curious yeah. if you have any things that you're doing that could help mm -hmm. other folks. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's a great question. And I think something that uh, any entrepreneur or anyone who um, kind of creates their own schedule has to grapple with um, or has to grapple with. It's also a huge positive. It's a huge, um, huge privilege to 
be able to design your own schedule. So um, I'm very big into lifestyle design and kind of working with my own patterns. And um, yeah, so for me, it's been it's been a process of learning about myself and just, okay, what time of day do I have the most energy? How much sleep do I need? What time do I actually naturally wake up? Um, how quickly or how for how long can I sustain focus? Um, so it's been a process of learning all of those things about myself and then designing my day to work with my natural energy fluctuations um, and uh, acknowledge, just be real with myself when I'm like, okay, 2 p.m. hits and I usually need to chill for a bit and have a coffee. Um, great. How can I work my schedule around that reality? Um, which is, yeah, it's, it's a process. It's also, it's really fun. Sometimes it's frustrating when you're, you know, if you're self-motivated or self-employed, no one's telling you what to do. So you have to be your own parents sometime, your own boss, um, and be self-disciplined too. Um, but I, I actually have a huge blast, uh, with lifestyle design and trying out different things that work for me. And um, it's been a process of a few years, but I've honed it pretty well where um, I know the times of day where I can do the best kinds of work and what kinds of work I can do at what times of day um, and days of the week, et cetera. Like um, I do really good creative work either in the morning or late at night. So if I'm writing something like that, or you're kind of doing brainstorming on business development, anything like that. I do those things at that time of day. If I'm doing client calls, it's got to be between 11 a.m. and 5 p.m. Um, that's when I can kind of be the most focused with other people. Um, but it's fun. It's fun to uh, play with that and see what works um, and develop those rituals with myself. What are you excited about over the next you know, six months, year as you kind of grow your business and, and get out there more? Yeah. Oh, my God. So much. That's a great question. Um, I have so many ideas for events and collaborative events. Um, I think I mentioned this to you earlier, um, but what I love so much about what I do is how much dating is a microcosm to discuss anything. You can talk about real estate through the lens of dating. You can talk about um, a city through the lens of the dating culture of that place. So what's really awesome about my work is that the meat of it is this one-on-one -on -one time that I spend with my clients. Um, and I do work with clients on the phone. I also work with clients on site in Seattle in person. Um, I have different offerings. But um, I'm really excited for all of the ways that I can collaborate with different people on events for um, doing more speaking gigs, um, for doing more social experiments and more Tinder is the night, more things similar to that. Um, I, yeah, I'm just really excited for all of the possibilities because um, I'm continually really happy with how many different things I get to do that fall under the umbrella of dating. And it really, it keeps it interesting for me. And it's also, um, yeah, I, I want to showcase to people how, um, how many things are going on dating wise and how it is complex. It is personal. Um, and that's okay. It's okay to have your own experience with it um, because there are so many factors at play. 
So where can everyone find you online or get in touch with you online? Mm -hmm. They can get in touch with me at, uh, well, my website is coraboydcoaching.com, C-O-R-A-B-O-Y-D. And um, they can email me at cora.e.boyd at gmail.com. They can follow me on Instagram at Cobra Boy XOX, <laughs> which is uh, just something my friends call me Cobra Boy. My name is Cora Boyd. So it just kind of became a thing. Um, and that's a great place. That's where I post most of um, kind of events that I'm doing. And that's where I source a lot of data too. It's just like crowdsourcing information. Um, and also, um, if you know, I, I want all my clients to vibe with me as a person um, because we're going to be working on some really personal shit together. So uh, it's a great place to get to know me and see if you resonate with me as a human. Um, yeah, so those are the coraboydcoaching.com at Cobra Boy XOX on Instagram. Um, and you can always email me through my website. That's awesome. I, I always like to, the, the kind of the last piece is to have a little open forum here. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't have to talk about dating advice or anything like that. You can, but just kind of in, whether it's a quote you live by or advice for the world or the, the listeners, I kind of give you the floor, um, anything you want to share as kind of a lasting impression, um, you know, what's on your mind maybe today or things you've been thinking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm. Wow, that's a great question. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, it could be a, it could be a yeah. quote that you like a lot. It could be something like, you know, if, again, from a dating perspective, I, I like to kind of be raw with it. And, and like I said, yeah. whatever's popping in your head, like, hey, you know, this is something that that's great for me. It may work for you. Anything in that nature that you can think about. Yeah, well, I would say that the way that I see the world, and this is probably why I... um gravitated towards being an entrepreneur. And this is a mindset that I kind of carry, I, I think translates over into dating really well, because I, I really see a ton of connections between the entrepreneurship process and the dating process. It's a, it's a lot of trial and error and um, uh, trying different, a ton of different things out and iterating as you go and paying attention to what works and doesn't work and responding to reality. It's, it's a very creative process. So um, what I like to do, and I would say this is almost like a hack for, um, for entrepreneurship, also for dating, also just for me, I think this shows up for me in like, I'm very into fashion too. I dress pretty expressively. Um, so even in how I literally dress, I, I like to look at what everyone else is doing. Um, and kind of do the opposite. <laughs> uh, so just for example, how that could pan out socially and dating wise in Seattle. And, and as I said, that can be when you look at the market for where I'm at, I'm kind of chose to work with men because I saw that there was there just wasn't very many female perspectives available to men and that and to support in that kind of way. But um, in Seattle, for example, um, Seattle is notorious for being a hard place to meet people because there's a term called the Seattle freeze where um, uh, evidently, or people say it's very hard to meet people because uh, people are not necessarily as forward or don't talk to people they don't know as much. So for me, I see that and I actually find that really encouraging because I see an opportunity to um, 
be the person who is not complicit with the norm. And if that is such a norm that I hear so many frustrations around, clearly there's a huge need for one person to not be complicit with the norm in any given situation. Uh, so that's really how I see the world in general is I look at what's going on and I look at what everyone else is doing and what the need is based on what everyone else is doing. And then I do, I, I do the thing that is not complicit with the norm. That's, that's fabulous advice. And, and I couldn't agree more. Um, I, I'm the same way, kind of the against yeah. the grain mentality. Right. Where, well, you uh, you kind know, of have to be as an entrepreneur too, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I think just, you know, the, as I kind of use the society norms, you know, kind of if you, yeah. if you bucket, um, if you kind of bucket with everyone else, there's opportunity outside that um, to yeah. really expand your horizon. So no, that's great advice. That's a, that's a good way to end um, yeah. some good thoughts for folks to uh, take with them. Um, Corey, this was awesome. This was uh, really an interesting interview. Um, Again, (laughs) I didn't know coming in. I was like, all right, we're going to talk a lot about a lot of different stuff. And um, I think it's going to be, hopefully it was very helpful for a lot of the uh, the listeners. I hope so. Yeah. Um, Yeah, this was a blast. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. Thanks again. I really appreciate it. Well, I hope everyone enjoyed that interview. And one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you don't mind, head over to iTunes, leave me a review, let me know how I'm doing. I certainly appreciate the feedback. It only is going to make this podcast better each and every episode. As always, you guys can find me online, uh, brianondraco.com. That's B-R-I-A-N-O-N-D-R-A-K-O, as well as on Instagram or Twitter, at brianondraco. Thanks again for listening in. I hope you guys have a great day, a phenomenal week. And we'll see you soon. Take care.